Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 84. I am your host, Noah Rochetta, and today I'm talking about how to practice mindfulness daily. Before I jump into that, keep in mind the Dalai Lama's advice, do not use what you learned from Buddhism to be a Buddhist, use it to be a better whatever you already are. Now, in the past couple of episodes, I've been talking about the Four Noble Truths with the acronym ELSA uh, as a, a reminder to apply those as tasks. The Eightfold Path was the last episode, and today I wanted to talk a little bit about some ideas and tips and exercises regarding how to actually practice mindfulness in our day-to-day living. Now, I want to bring to your attention something You know, with the Eightfold Path, it can seem like there's this structured way of trying to go about living, and that can seem to contradict uh, other episodes where I've talked about the idea of living artfully. And I had a recent message from a podcast listener who brought up this point and said, you know, with with concepts that I share from time to time, like, you know, the idea that when you try, you've, the trying has lost the whole point. Um, or teachings like the gateless gate, uh, um, you know, at times some Buddhist concepts and teachings can seem contradictory in their implications of uh, what's being taught with like trying to do something and having effort versus not trying to do something and just going with the flow. Uh, And in that case, why even try? So what I explained as a response to this email was the idea that um, effort is something that we exert at any given time for many different reasons. It's, it's always happening. So the idea, again, is to be more skillful in where we exert our effort. Um, you can think of this, the analogy I gave in the email, I don't know if it's the best one, but it was to visualize the events taking place on the Titanic in those final hours as it was sinking. There was a lot of effort being exerted to accomplish certain things, I'm sure, in the... Um, uh, I don't know what they call it, though, where the captain and all the officers are. There was a lot going on there. We know that on deck, there was a lot of effort being made to keep the band playing music. Um, I don't know. I'm sure somewhere in the kitchen, somebody may have been exerting effort to put away the dishes or to clean them. Uh, I, I don't know. But the point is to be able to pause and say, where is the most skillful place to exert my effort? And in the case of the the Titanic, it would have been to get as many people on the lifeboats as possible in the quickest amount of time. And we know that's not how that uh, went down, um, unfortunately. So it, it's kind of like that. It's being able to pause and take inventory in our, in our own lives with whatever the situation at hand is. Am I exerting the most skillful effort in the most skillful direction? That's kind of the point here. It's not saying that we shouldn't have effort, that we shouldn't do things, that we shouldn't try to be better. It's just under, it's saying, try to understand why do you feel the need to be better in the first place? Because when you understand yourself, you can be more skillful with where you exert that effort. Um, which brings me to the point of this episode. This is why I wanted to talk about why why even practice mindfulness? What is the point of being more mindful? And I, I want to emphasize what I've echoed before in previous episodes, which is that you don't need to be more mindful. You know, this is 
this content is relevant information for people who want to be more mindful. Um, it's like the saying that goes, ignorance is bliss. That's true up until the point where ignorance isn't bliss. You know, ignorance can be bliss in some circumstances, in some instances, and for a certain amount of time. But then life changes, just like the game of Tetris, a new shape shows up and suddenly you are living in a new set of circumstances where the ignorance isn't bliss. It's causing yourself and those around you a lot of unnecessary suffering. And I think this happens a lot. This is certainly what happened with me in my own life uh, with experiencing, going through changes of events in life that caused me to uh, suddenly be experiencing a lot of suffering. And a lot of my suffering was passing on to others around me, those closest to me. Um, and there, there came to be this moment where I didn't want to feel that way any, anymore. I wanted to understand the nature of my, of my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings. And that, uh, that path, that F that allowed me to exert more effort to be more mindful. In other words, to learn more about myself. And that's something I cannot emphasize enough with this entire discussion and journey about Buddhism and mindfulness and all of this stuff, it'll never give you the answers to life's big questions, uh, the mysteries of the cosmos. It's not about that. It's going to unlock something that I believe is incredibly more mysterious and profound, which is the nature of your own thoughts. Why do you think and say and do the things that you do? Only you can discover that about yourself. And that's the whole point of mindfulness as a practice. Now, it's important to recognize you cannot force yourself to be more mindful. Uh, it's not like I can just sit here and will myself to be more mindful in the same way that I cannot force myself to be more smart. You know, if I want to learn something, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. I'm going to have to pick up a book, read about this subject or topic that I want to learn more about, get a study manual, uh, highlight things in the manual, watch tutorials and educational videos online about it. Like it, it takes effort on my part to learn about a new subject. It does for all of us. And it's the same way when it comes to learning more about ourselves. You know, if you want to be more mindful and aware of yourself, well, guess what? It's going to take some time and you're going to have to uh, spend some time studying and observing yourself. And in that sense, uh, that's where mindfulness as a practice comes in. It's something that you continually work on and you can continually get to know yourself. And the game doesn't end because of the nature of things being impermanent. The you that you're getting to know is a changing you. So if you think you finally figured yourself out, well, guess what? The game keeps going because you're always a new you. So that's something to keep in mind in all of this. Now, when we typically talk about mindfulness through most Buddhist uh, schools and traditions, they would mention that mindfulness um, has essentially two layers. It's being in the present moment and, and I think this is the most important part, having a non-judgmental awareness of being in the present moment. For example, if I am sitting with the experience of being angry, I'm allowing myself to, to feel angry because that is the natural thing that, that I'm experiencing. That's the, that's the first layer. The second layer is experiencing anger and not judging myself for having the experience of feeling angry. So it doesn't mean that we're eliminating the stories that give rise to these emotions. It's more about 
uh, changing the relationship we have with our stories. It's about um, no longer believing our stories, recognizing that our stories are just stories. Um, and one of those stories in this example I just gave is that it's wrong to be angry. Uh, so if, as long as I have the story, it's wrong to be angry. Now I experience anger and I'm adding a, a more complex layer because now I'm angry that I'm angry. So that's, that's something that we, we start to dissect in this whole process of exploration of trying to be more mindful. Um, and keep in mind that mindfulness is not just about feeling good. Although you, you can feel really good about being mindful and practicing mindfulness. It's, it's more about being good at feeling because you will feel everything that arises, the instances of discontent and anger and sadness and all of it. You're going to be really good at feeling. So this is why I recently wrote um, my newest book is five, five, the Five Minute Mindfulness Journal. That was my goal was, you know, what I've encountered over and over as I meet other people who either listen to the podcast or practice meditation or mindfulness of some sort, something that seems to be common that I encountered in my own uh, path with trying to be more mindful is like, how, how do you actually do it? Um, how do you spend time to become more insightful and understand yourself better? Sure, I can sit in meditation and I can watch my breath for, uh, <laughs> you know, what seems like eternity, but how is that going to, how, what starts to actually help me to get to know me and I wanted to share some of the exercises and, and things that have really worked for me in my own mindfulness practice, but present them in a way where they're easy to put into practice in your own day-to-day -day life. You know, I think I've echoed this before as well, that a, a consistent practice is far more beneficial than uh, a deep or long or profound practice. Like, sure, you can go sit in the forest and spend a 10-day silent meditation, and that's it's going to do a lot of great things that it may or it may not, but a lot of people report that, you know, things like that, um, are beneficial, but let's, let's just bring this to the average day-to-day -day life. The average person, if you're like me, we're probably not going to go sit in a mountain monastery for 10 days or a month or years. You know, we are busy with jobs, raising children, dealing with spouses, um, and, and dealing with the traffic, driving to work, you know, how do we, is there a way for the average person to also experience these profound benefits of mindfulness as a practice? And for me, the resounding answer is absolutely yes, because I've experienced this in my own life, um, all while carrying on the, the ordinary day-to-day -day tasks of being a, 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 you know, a son and a father and a a spouse and a sibling and a coworker and a boss and an employee and everything else that I am. So with that in mind, I, I wanted to share some of the ideas and exercises that I think have worked really well. So uh, the book is full of these, but I'm going to share a few of them with you in this podcast episode with the goal of giving you a taste of, of what uh, daily mindfulness practice can be. So take a a moment and pause. You may be driving or, or doing something where you cannot do this um, the way it's intended, like in the journal. The, the journal is intended to be written in. So you can, if you're in a position where you can do this, go ahead and do this. But uh, you can ask yourself, what do I feel right now? And take inventory, label the feeling. It can be hunger, tired, uh, excited, rushed, whatever it is. 
take inventory of how you feel right now. And once you have uh, a label or a few labels, because most likely you feel uh, several things uh, right now, then spend a moment and try to ask yourself, where does this feeling come from? What gives rise to this feeling? For example, I feel X and it's probably because of Y. Uh, write those down. I feel X and I feel it because, and write that down. And once you have this little list, you can pause the podcast at this point and, and, and work on that. But once you have this list, then the invitation is to dig deeper. You know, I feel this because of this, but now let's look at the, that why. why. Why do I feel that? And you can do this many, many layers deep. And I'll give you an example in my own life. Um, before I had ever gotten into mindfulness practice or even knew what, what uh, Buddhism was, I had an experience uh, at work once. And my wife and I both worked at the same place. And during, we were in cubicles, and it was a, a really big building. So um, we would communicate through uh, instant messenger on our computers. And I had this bright idea. I can't even remember what it was, but I had this bright idea, according to me. Uh, and I was texting my wife, explaining my bright idea, which was something along the lines of, I'm going to take the this vacation time that we have. We didn't have kids yet. Um, and I think, if I recall this correctly, she was pregnant. Um, so we were going to have a little bit of time before uh, Raiko was born. And I had amassed some time um, with, I think, vacation time or sick time at work and, and same with some money. And so anyway, my bright idea was this, um, I'm going to use my time. And before Raiko is born, she has no interest in, in ever going to visit Antarctica, but I did. So I thought, why don't I go get that trip out of the way? Put it cause it's a bucket list item for me and I'll go visit Antarctica. It'll be like a one or two week trip. And then when I come back, then it's a few more months, then the baby's born. And then, you know, we carry on with life, but I will have achieved this bucket list item. And to me, in my mind, it all sounded brilliant. So I share all this with her in this text message. And then I can't remember the exact order of events, but I think I rethought it and, uh, and then sent her this message saying, actually, no, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe it wouldn't work because of blah, blah, blah. And then she replied to my message um, with this long, elaborate text that was clearly not meant for me, saying, oh, he finally just changed his idea. I'm so glad he realized what a dumb idea it was because, man, blah, blah, blah. And uh, uh, <laughs> like going off on being uh, telling somebody else what, um, what I had just told her. And, and the way she painted it made it seem like, wow, what, what a horrible idea. And I'm glad he saw that it was a horrible idea. So I didn't have to tell him. And I felt so offended. Uh, first of all, I, I felt mad that I was like, why, why wouldn't she just tell me? Why does she have to confide in someone else about what a bad idea this is? So I replied right away. I was like, uh, I don't think you meant that for me and acting all indignant, right? Because, you know, she criticized my idea. <laughs> Um, so th to me, that was one of those instances of, I feel X and it's probably because of Y. So in my case, I feel upset because my wife just called me out. Uh, um, well, I guess not directly to me, unintentionally made me, uh, appear like a fool to someone, to whoever she meant that message to go through. Um, 
And I was just really angry with that. It wasn't until much later that I could uh, sit with the emotion and I learned this whole process of introspection and I replayed several instances in my past. This is one of them where I thought, why did that bother me so much when I got that text, when I got that message that totally shot me down as a crazy person with dumb ideas? And what I realized was from my perspective, my idea didn't seem crazy, but that doesn't mean that it that it wasn't crazy. <laughs> it very well may have been, and it certainly was to her based on her perspective. Um, and perhaps I would have needed to have elaborated a little bit more on why I was thinking what I was thinking. Um, but uh, so anyway, what, what I what I discovered, the deeper thing for me in that whole example was the realization that I have a story about myself. And that story is that I uh, come up with good ideas. I, I always have ideas that, of course, to me, they're good ideas. And uh, I was being confronted with this harsh reality that my great ideas aren't great to everyone. And here was someone close to me that I thought would certainly see my brilliance of my ideas, and she didn't. And she, she and and I realized she thought it was actually a dumb idea. Um, so it was my reality of me being someone who has good ideas was being confronted with the harshness of reality, which is that no, not all your ideas are good, or at least not to everyone. And that was that created conflict in me because I had to maintain my story of well, no, the the problem is has to be her. It's not me and my ideas because I have good ones. That's part of my story. So anyway, what I wanted to get at was the digging deeper. How did I feel? Why did I feel that? And then why did I feel what I felt? And, um, so it was going through a few layers that revealed in my instance, in my example, it revealed something about me to me, which is I have a story that when confronted with reality at times will uh, run into problems, which is if someone doesn't think my idea is good, I'm going to have problems with that. So uh, again, with time, that allowed me to realize, okay, I can accept a new reality, which is no, not all of my ideas are good, at least not to everyone else. Even if they're good ideas to me, doesn't mean they're going to be good ideas to others. Okay. I kind of went on a tangent with that. Uh, so let's go back to this concept of thinking. Um, you know, as an exercise, you can ask yourself, is thinking something that I do or is it something that's happening to me? And in fact, the very fact that I just asked this question has probably sent your mind on a new trajectory that you are not able to control. You know, what did you immediately think after I asked you that question? Is thinking something that you're doing or something that's happening to you? You know, or any question, anytime someone asks you a question and you're thinking of an answer, can you help the fact that that answer is what popped into your head, that that specific thought or idea is what arose in your mind? Can you help that? I don't think that you can. And in terms of interdependence, everything is influencing our thoughts at all times. And marketers know this. This is why we're always being bombarded with messaging that tries to influence us. And when a thought arises like, oh, I need to have this or that, I got to have it, you know, whatever that is, were you really able to help it? I don't think so. I don't think we're in control as much as we think we are. Um, so, and then there's the problem of the in, inner narrator. Our brain is wired in a way that gives rise to the narrator of our thoughts. And, and part of what we want to achieve with mindfulness practice is understanding the nature of our mind, getting to know the inner narrator, and ultimately befriending, or at least having a more skillful relationship 
with the inner narrator. And I've mentioned this before, but that voice in our head, that is the narrator. We all have one. Most likely your inner narrator sounds a lot like you. It's like you're hearing your own voice. Uh, it's the one that probably laughs at your own jokes and or it's the heckler in the crowd that makes fun of everything that you're trying to do. Uh, for some, that voice um, can be downright mean and nasty, um, but it is the voice. And it's the one that even now, some people may be listening to this saying, no, I don't have a voice. There's not a voice inside of my head. Well, that's it. That's the inner voice. Uh, meet your inner narrator. So here's an exercise that you can do when it comes to this process of uh, understanding and meeting your inner narrator. You can ask yourself, what are some of the characteristics of my inner narrator? Is it mean? Is it nice? Uh, do I, is it a bold voice? Is it a shy voice? And think about it and just write down some of the characteristics that you would attribute to this inner narrator. And you can ask yourself, well, why do I even want to get to know this inner narrator? Well, like I said before, for many of us, the inner narrator is mean and cruel. It can often make uh, our lives feel miserable. It can be demanding. It's always saying, I want this uh, and I don't want that. And it has this whole list of wants and it has this whole list of things to avoid, right? This is kind of the, the Buddhist concept of the three poisons there. The desires are the things the inner narrator is saying, I've got to have that. And then there are the aversions, the things that the inner narrator is saying, no, get away from that. We don't want any of that in our lives. And it can be super controlling. It's like a control freak. So here's another exercise. I want you to take a moment and think about what is the meanest thing you've ever said or done to someone and, or, or that you've seen someone do to someone else. And try to recall how did that feel as you were witnessing or experiencing this. You can just write it down. You know, it's like a, a quick journal entry, a memory. And again, ask yourself, what was that experience like? Just think about that for a moment. And then what we're going to do for this exercise is reflect inward. And the question you're going to ask yourself is, what is the meanest thing you've done or said to yourself? And how does that feel? And this may be a past experience, but it may be a current, a present experience, an ongoing one. It's something that you continually say or do to yourself and just Pause and reflect, how does it feel to treat yourself the way that, that you do? And the inner narrator isn't always mean. Uh, it'll, it'll do nice things too. Um, part of its job is to protect us, right? We're, we're hardwired as a species to, to survive. So a lot of the harshness that uh, comes from this inner, inner narrator is done coming from a place of love, you could say, a place of instinctual survival, uh, it says, you know, don't, don't wear that. You look like an idiot because ultimately it's trying to protect you. Because if you look like an idiot, you may be ostracized from the group. If you're not in the group, you're going to be cast out. And if you get cast out, we're going to die, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's the thinking, uh, that's going on. That's underneath, uh, the meanness at times of, of, of this inner narrator. And I think that's important to know. So what we want to try to spend time with is, um, you know, imagine that you're meeting the inner narrator and I want you to think of five compliments uh, that you could give your inner narrator. Um, it may be difficult to conceptualize this as you meeting your inner narrator. You can, a, a quick, easy way to do this is just imagine 
that you are meeting yourself from yesterday. The you of yesterday is meeting the you of right now. And what would be five compliments and perhaps five complaints? If you want to have a frank discussion with yourself, what are five things you, you like about yourself and five things you don't like about yourself? And try to try to analyze these things through that lens of introspection of you, the inner narrator, are trying to protect yourself often from things you don't realize are the hidden motives of why you are are the way that you are to yourself. So just keep that in mind and look at this list of the five complaints and five compliments and see, I don't know, what insight arises out of that. Another exercise you can do is think of a good friend. You know, what are some of the characteristics of a good friend? What is it that makes a good friend a good friend? And write down some of these qualities or attributes. Again, this is what separates a friend from a good friend. So everyone's list is going to be a little bit different. But think about what that entails for you. What makes your good friends your good friends? And then look at that list. And now imagine what what would it be like if you were that good friend to yourself? How would your life be different if you were a better friend to yourself? And list five things that you can uh, start doing right now to be a better friend to yourself. And this exercise works even when you're thinking of others too. If you want to just be a better friend in general, how can you be a better friend to others? You know, how, how can you go from being a friend to a good friend to someone else that you care about? So this kind of has a two-part thing where it can benefit you as far as your relationships with others, but it's meant to really start with the, the core, which is you befriending yourself. So think about that and write those things down. And remember, there's this quote that says, you yourself, as much as anybody else in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. And I, I, I want to end this kind of on that note. Um, this is why I wrote the five-minute mindfulness journal as um, a process, a, a place where you can visit. Literally, it takes five minutes or less every day looking at some of these questions and exercises, and the, and the book is packed with them. You know, I, I gave you, what, three or four? Um, the book is packed with them, and it's broken into various sections. Uh, section one is you are not your thoughts. Two is the inner narrator. Three is befriending your inner narrator. Uh, four is finding peace in the struggle. Uh, next is self-acceptance, then gratitude. And then the last section of the book is exercises around cultivating loving kindness. Um, so again, the, the, the way this book is structured as a journal, it's meant to be a book that you read and that you write in the book. And these exercises that you work on and the things that you write are meant to give rise to insight and wisdom into the nature of yourself, your own mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, the, say, the things that you say and think and do. Um, it's, it's a journal about you. It's about you getting to know you, having a better understanding, and, um, and ultimately changing the relationship that you have with yourself. Uh, I can guarantee you there's nothing mysterious that you're going to gain in this about the cosmos or about life, uh, there will absolutely be aha moments uh, when it comes to understanding you and yourself, which I think is incredibly more uh, profound, at least in my opinion. But again, as I mentioned earlier in this book, uh, who am I to think that my ideas are, 
are good. Obviously, to some people, they're not. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I haven't gone to Antarctica yet, but it's still it's still uh, in the works. And now that I talked about this and recalled that story, uh, I think I've rekindled the the desire to uh, get that one crossed off my bucket list and go to Antarctica. Hopefully my wife will think it's a good idea. Hopefully uh, she'll want to come with me now that this is like 10 years after that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I guess you'll know when you hear about it. If and when I go, if she comes with me, you guys will all be a part of that uh, inside joke, knowing that uh, story about us and our past and her thinking what a dumb idea it was for me to want to go to Antarctica. Okay, so that's all I have for this episode. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the sequence of uh, thoughts and ideas from the past three episodes, starting with the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and then this one, the invitation to start to apply practices where you sit and get to know yourself. I can promise you that the, the one of the most impactful uh, changes that you'll have in your life is the the change in the dynamic, the relationship that you have with yourself, with your own thoughts, with your feelings, and with your emotions. To be able to um, uh, be skillful in where you exert this effort of of uh, controlling who you are and how you want to be and the things that you want to do. So that's the invitation uh, with this podcast. You can you can pick up the book. It's available now on Amazon. Uh, it's called Five Minute Mindfulness Journal, or it's called the Five Minute Mindfulness Journal. Sorry. Um, and like you can search for it just with my name or with, uh, with the title of the book. I will have a link. Uh, so if you go to secularbuddhism.com, you can find it there as well. But that's all I have for now. Again, if you want to learn more about these concepts, you can check out the other book, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners. Uh, and I think that will complement this one pretty well now. That one is the teachings and concepts and ideas. And then this one is practices and exercises. Um, you can learn more about that on Everyday Buddhism or SecularBuddhism.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please feel free to share it with others, write a review, give it a rating in iTunes. Uh, you can join the online community, SecularBuddhism.com forward slash community. It's just a Facebook group. Uh, and if you'd like to make a donation to support the work I'm doing with the podcast, please visit SecularBuddhism.com. Click the donate button. And that is all I have for now. But as always, I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Until next time.